Our scripture today is from Jonah chapter 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard and got back to, to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, has done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased as it's raging, from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Rick. I had Rick read because it sounds like God is talking to you with that deep radio voice. We're so glad you're here this morning. If you're here for the first time or joining us online, we just want to extend our a welcome to you. 
And uh, in your, you, can, you had a worship bulletin when you come in. You can tell, tear off that, hey, I'm here card. We'd love to know you're visiting with us uh, today if we, how we can pray for you. And jo if you're here today, join us in the coffee bar uh, after service for some coffee and a muffin. So let me just pray before we get started. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time together as your people have gathered to look at your word. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, we give you thanks, Lord, for this time together to worship you, celebrate you, and learn from your word. And so, Lord, be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're beginning a four-week story on the book of Jonah. A fish story, you might say. <laughs> When you hear the name of Jonah, most of us think about a man in the Bible who was swallowed by a whale. <laughs> this is not some far-fetched story, as some people believe. Some people don't believe the Bible is true. But it's in, the, it's in God's Word, so I believe it. You know, I recently read a, a story <laughs> in the Cape Cod Times about a local lobster diver you might have saw it on television, on the news. He was swallowed recently by a humpback whale on a dive. They go down to the bottom and pick up off the bottom to pick up those lobsters. This, his name is Michael Packer, and he's been dubbed kind of the modern-day Jonah. But the paper reported that he only stayed inside of the whale 30 or 40 seconds, but I guess the whale didn't like the way he tasted, and he spit him out. <laughs> now, he didn't stay inside that whale three or four days, three days and three nights like Jonah, but I bet it felt like it. You know, as we come to the book of Jonah, we must understand that it's more than a story about a man and a whale. The story uses Jonah, but it's not really about Jonah. It's really about the character of God and what we learn from that. It's about his compassion and mercy towards his creation. And this morning, I think there's four truths that we can take away from this first chapter, and there, there are these overhead. God calls all believers to go. God pursues us even when we disobey God has mercy and compassion for all of his people. And God, our God is the one who redeems and saves. A little background about Jonah. The book that bears his name is written in the third person, and it's about the events surrounding his call to go to Nineveh, a Gentile city. And see, Jonah was a prophet. Prophets were called by God to go and give the word of the Lord to his people. Jonah's name means dove or son of truthfulness. And the only other place in the Old Testament that Jonah is mentioned, his ministry of being a prophet is found in 2 Kings 14, 23. And see here, Jonah is called to bring the word of the Lord to Jeroboam II, king of Israel. And you see at the bottom of the passage there, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant, servant Jonah, the son of, of Amittai, the prophet. Now, Jonah was from a little Galilean town about five miles from Nazareth in the north. 
And he lived during the 8th century. And it was dur- the time he lived was during a time that the threatening neighbors of Israel, the Assyrian Empire, had grown to its, had really declined and it was at its weakest state. And they had taken land from Israel and other people and see King Jeroboam want to take advantage of their weakness. And he began seeking the Lord about his desire to expand the nation of Israel back to what it was under the time of Solomon. And this is where God calls Jonah to bring his word to the king. And he gives him a promise of victory and really a green light on his expansion plans. Now, we know something from this passage that King Jeroboam II had done evil in the eyes of the Lord. He oppressed the poor and he allowed Baal worship to continue in Israel, and it, which caused the Israelites to further and further turn their back away from God. See, Israel was during this time, they were strong politically, but spiritually they were weak. And remember this fact that Jonah saw firsthand the compassion and mercy of God on an evil king and a disobedient nation when it was really not deserved. See, this was Jonah's first call to go to, go to his own people. And now Jonah is called to go to Go and preach to the great city of Nineveh, a Gentile city, not his own people. And we read in Jonah 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now listen, Nineveh was the Assyrian capital. It was one of the oldest cities in the world. Some people believe that it was kind of started by Noah's son way, way back. It's in Iraq. Now the Assyrians were known for their ruthlessness and their cruelty and warfare. And we know that during the end of Jeroboam's second reign, the Assyrians, well, they regained their strength. And they started to attack, attack the northern part of Israel. They started taking the land and torturing people. They eventually took the capital of Samaria, the northern kingdom of Israel, and they took the ten tribes, the northern ten tribes of Israel into captivity. That's where we get the ten lost tribes of Israel. See, the Assyrians have become the hated enemies of Israel. And now God is calling him to go and preach to them. Now, why would God call Jonah, a prophet, to go and preach to the Assyrians, an enemy of Israel? One who, the people who had killed a lot of his brothers and sisters, God's chosen people. Well, I think the answer is kind of simple. And it goes to the first truth is that God calls us to go. Now listen to this. We know today, Matthew 28, there's a command for all believers to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. 
It doesn't say the ones that you like or the ones that you align with. It says all nations. <laughs> do we do that? See, as believers, when we get that call, it means that we're supposed to share the gospel with everyone, even if we think they're our enemies. Jesus tells us to love our enemies and to pray for them. Now, Jonah did not have the word of God like we do today when it comes to the words of Jesus. However, he did have the promise made to Abraham in Genesis 12 where he said all nations, all nations would be blessed through God's covenant with Abraham, that covenant of grace, the same covenant of grace that we are under today, that we experience the grace of the Lord Jesus. And see, what God desires most of us is that we, that we are obedient when he calls us. Now, I know for some people, sometimes we, we have calls from God at an early age, and it takes years for them to come to fruition. I remember talking to Jenny Fox, one of our missionaries at River Oaks. She told me she felt a call to go be a missionary in India at a really early age. And she grew up reading all about India and the people and the culture to try to learn as much as she could. Her mother told me she used to even sleep in the bathtub. Every night, for many nights a week, she did that to prepare herself for living in, the hardship, in hardships in a foreign country. But think about that. But see, all the while through this, God was preparing her heart. And as she got older, she got married, guess what? The Lord opened the door, and she and her family went to India, and they served faithfully sharing the gospel of Jesus. She, see, she obeyed that call, even though it came really early. I'm reminded of a, a really famous group of missionaries that obeyed God's call. In 1955, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, along with four other families, well, they felt that God calling them to the jungles of Ecuador. And they were sent there to share the gospel with some unreached Indian tribes in the middle of the jungle. Now, they took a little small plane, and Jim and the four other men, they would fly over the jungle looking for the huts in hopes of reaching them. And they spotted some one day, and they landed on a sandbar along the river, and they made their first contacts with them. And they were so excited. On Sunday, January the 8th, 1956, the men left base camp to go hold their first worship service on the beach near the village. One of the men radioed his wife back at base camp and said, look, we flew over and there's all these people, a welcoming party coming to the beach be praying for our ministry. We'll, I'll call you back at this afternoon on the way back and let you know how things went. Well, afternoon came and the radio was silent. 
There was no messages sent. So a search party was assembled to go out and look for these five men. What they found was the plane had been destroyed. And all five men were dead. They had been struck in the back with the spears of the natives they went to share the gospel with. In fact, there's some things on YouTube. There's a movie about this. Things called the point or the point of the spear or something. It's a famous story. But here's the amazing part of this. That's not the end of the story. You see, two years later, two of the men's relatives, Elizabeth Elliot and Rachel Saint, returned to the native village in Ecuador in the jungles there, to live with the same tribe that had killed their loved ones. <laughs> These women taught the village how to forgive fearlessly and love tremendously. And it changed the way of the village. It transformed the life of the villagers. And the first man, the first man to come and bow his knee to Jesus was the same man that had killed Rachel's brother. And then years later, as generations go up, Steve Saint, he felt a call to go to the same village. And when he went there, he stayed a while, and he was baptized by that same man, the man who killed his father. And with God's forgiveness, and they're sharing their life together, they became great friends, and they shared the gospel of Jesus in the jungles of Ecuador for many, many years. Elizabeth Elliot, in her memoirs, she writes why she and Rachel went. Listen to this. They simply went because they knew they belonged to God because he was their creator and redeemer. Um they had no choice but to willingly obey. And that meant obeying his command to take the good news to every nation, even to your enemy. See, it's a powerful story of being obedient when God calls us, even to places that we don't like. See, this was Rachel's and Elizabeth's Call to go to their Nineveh. And they obeyed. Well, what about Jonah? How did Jonah respond when he got his call from God? Look at Jonah 1.3. We know that Jonah got up and fled. He rose to go to Tarshish from the presence of God. He went down to Joppa and had paid his own fare to get on a boat. Now, we're not told in chapter 1 what Jonah is thinking, but his actions really show us everything we need to know. Jonah thinks he can run from the presence of God. Really? He heads in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He goes down to Joppa, which is a port city on the Mediterranean Sea, just a little south of uh, modern-day Tel Aviv. I went there a few years ago. It's a cool little, little port. He, he heads to Tarshish. That's where he wants to go. Going to the farthest point west he could go. Now, he lived about 500 miles from Nineveh 
in Galilee, but he was going 2,500 miles the other way, totally opposite where God had called him from. What was he thinking? He's a, prophet, he's a prophet of God. He would have known this passage from Psalms 139 because it was written 300 years before Jonah. And it says this, Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I descend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. See, when God's got a hold of us, he never lets go. We might think we can run, but we really can't. So Jonah goes down and he boards a ship. Now think about this. He boards a ship with a crew on board that are all Gentiles. They're pagan worshipers. Some of them are probably, some commentaries believe some of them were still maybe Assyrians because Israelites were not seafaring people. It's kind of ironic that he wants to go and be with the same people he didn't want to have anything to do with. It's a funny place to run and hide. See, we just need to understand. We can run, but we cannot hide. We think we can, but we can't. This leads me to the second truth that we learn from Jonah about God is that God pursues us even when we disobey. Even when we're running, he still pursues us. And see, the first thing we need to see here is the cost. There's always a cost of disobedience. We notice in Jonah 1.3 it says that Jonah had to pay his own fare. I love this quote overhead by Donald Gray Bernhardt. Barnhart, listen to this. When you run away from the Lord, you never get to where you're going and you always pay your own fare. But when you go the Lord's way, you always get to where you're going and he pays the fare. Did you get that? When we're running, we never get to where we're really going. And it, there's a cost to us. But if we're obedient to Christ and, and we do what he tells us to do, he will lead us and guide us to where he wants us to go. And guess what? He provides and he pays the fare. See, Jonah had to pay his fare. He didn't get to where he was going. He didn't get a refund because the Lord cut his trip short. <laughs> and he pursued him in his disobedience. And now Jonah's got to sit back and <laughs> suffer the consequences as God intervenes supernaturally to alter his plan. You see, herein lies the real issue for Jonah. This was Jonah's plan, not God's plan. How many times do we in life want our plan over what God wants? The other thing, the other way that God pursues us in our disobedience is often he will place other people in our path to help wake us up from our waywardness or our running. 
If you notice in this passage here, there's a, there's a process. There's this downward spiral. He went down to Joppa. He went down in the ship. He went down to go to sleep. See, this is the way disobedience kind of festers and it grows. We keep going down and down and down. See, what we need today as believers is that we need people in our small groups, people that we know and trust, other believers that, that love us, that will be able to speak the truth to us, to hold us accountable, to wake us up from our downward spiral or our running from God, that will speak the truth and love to us, that will bring us out of the pit that we have placed ourselves in. That's, what, that's why small groups are so important and believers loving one another. In verse 4, we see God begins to pursue Jonah with a needed wake-up call. He sends a great wind on the sea. Now, this was no normal windstorm. It was a God-sized storm. Look overhead. It says, but the Lord heard a great wind upon the sea. The ship, it was threatening to break the ship up. And the sailors there were greatly afraid. You know, people that's been on the ocean all the time, call them salty dogs, they're in rough water all the time. It's no big deal. But here, they're all afraid. You ever watch the show um, Deadliest Catch on TV? I'm kind of always amazed at watching this program by how sometimes the captain's kind of calm. Sometimes he gets a little, but most time he's calm and there's 60 or 70 mile an hour winds and there's three-story waves crashing on the deck and the crew runs in and out. They're just, they don't really seem that afraid of all the danger around them. They're more interested in catching crab. But here in this story, it's, it's kind of, it's a chaotic scene. Nobody's calm. <laughs> See, the deckhands are greatly af afraid. They're throwing weight off the ship and they're praying to their pagan gods. And then the captain, the one who was supposed to be calm, well, he's in a panic. He's frantic. See, at this point, God's got the crew's attention. But not Jonah. Jonah's downstairs asleep. And the captain goes down. God uses this captain to go down to wake him from his slumber, from the depths of his sin, and said, man, get up. We're about to sink. <laughs> Tells him to arise and pray. I believe it's this point in the story that God is starting to get Jonah's attention a little bit. When he goes up on the, on the top of the uh, deck, the crew... Well, they're trying to figure out who is causing this calamity on board, and they cast lots, and, of course, it falls on Jonah. And they start asking him a lot of questions about who he was, where he's from, and they, he'd already told them that he was running from his God. And I think it was at this point that Jonah makes this confession. He speaks it out loud. He hears these words. He, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord. Yahweh, the God of heaven who made the sea in the dry land. Now think about that. These pagan sailors thought that their God controlled the seas. 
This made them greatly afraid. And, and the crew realized that it was Jonah's God who was in control of this storm. And they grew more and more afraid. <sighs> See, I believe it's now that Jonah may be waking up a little bit from the slumber of his sin when he hears this confession and he realizes that, that this storm is a result of his disobedience. This is the beginning of his turning back. See, God loves us so much that he will never give up on us. He pursues us even in our disobedience lovingly because he loves us to restore us back to a place of obedience. And sometimes he uses others. And sometimes he uses events to do that. The third truth we learn about God from Jonah is that God has compassion and mercy for all people. Now, we're not told in Jonah 1 the reason for Jonah's running, but we do find it in the last chapter, verse 4 and 2. We find Jonah having this conversation and praying to the Lord, and he says this, I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. See, Jonah knew the character of God to be one of compassion and mercy. He had personally witnessed that with King Jeroboam II and the nation of Israel. And now God was calling him to go to Nineveh and preach. He knew what God would do. He would pour out his mercy and compassion on his enemies. <laughs> and that's what angered him the most. He knew God's heart. The bottom line is that, God, that Jonah wanted to decide who received mercy. There you go again, putting us. Anytime we start trying to play God, we're in disobedience. Remember back in our study in Romans 9.15 in this quote from Exodus to, to Moses from the Lord, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it does not depend on human will, but on God who has mercy. It's not up to us. It's up to God. See, God is control of all his creation. And when we start to impose our will rather than God's will, well, we're just walking in disobedience. The Bible tells us we're not to play God. We're supposed to be imitators of him, walking in compassion and mercy for all people, even our enemies. <laughs> Now, we, we see the display of God's mercy and compassion again and again through this whole book towards a rebellious Jonah. We know that God didn't let him drown when they threw him overboard. He provided a great fish to swallow him up from the depths of the sea and the depths of his disobedience, saving his life. You see, that's the last point here. It's only God who can redeem us and save us. God had woken Jonah up from his spiritual sleep. He becomes fully aware 
of God pursuing him. And for the first time in his story, it seems like we see a, a little compassion from Jonah towards these sailors. Look at 112. Jonah tells them, pick me up and hurl me in the sea and the sea will quiet down for I know it, it, it is because of me. It's because of me that this is happening. See, it appears that Jonah is willing to lay down his life to save the others. <laughs> the, the sailors had more compassion than Jonah because they were afraid. They didn't want to be responsible for taking Jonah's life. They even attempted to row the boat back to shore in a storm. You never take a ship in a storm back to the coast because it will, that's disastrous if the waves are doing that. But they were trying to save him. <laughs> See, the sailors were pagans. When they couldn't row back, they said, well, we'll just have to throw him overboard. But they do something really amazing. These pagan sailors start praying and asking not their pagan God, but Jonah's God, Yahweh. Lord, forgive us for taking this man's life. <laughs> and they pick him up and they throw him overboard. And the water starts to calm down and the winds start to die down. And what they realize, they've experienced the one true God of heaven and earth and the sea. And they bow down and worship Jonah's God. And they make sacrifices. Now think about that. They've witnessed the power of the one true God. And see, this is really how we come to know the Lord today because, <laughs> you know what? He is still pursuing us. Before we come to him, after we come to him, he pursues us every day with his grace and his mercy and compassion. He lays down his life for us to redeem us from the depths of our sin and save us. He provided for us a Savior just like he did for the sailors and Jonah. See, what Jonah is teaching is really a foreshadowing of Jesus, what he would come and do for us. Look at this in Matthew 1240. If Jesus talks about Jonah being swallowed by a whale, <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> he quotes it here. He says, just as Sona... Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish. So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something new and something greater is here. And that something greater is Jesus, the perfect prophet. See, Jonah was a man. Jesus is God. Jonah was disobedient. Jesus is always obedient to God's will. Jonah sinned. Jesus is sinless. Jonah was not full of compassion. God is always full of compassion. Jonah points to a 
perfect Savior. Jesus is that perfect Savior. And he is still pursuing us today. You can run, but you can't hide. See, we've seen in the story of Jonah, it's much more than a man and a fish. It's about God's mercy and compassion for all of his creation. And what he desires most is he longs for us to answer that call to come to him for forgiveness and salvation, to redeem us from the depths of our sins, to give us a purpose for all his believers to be sent out to share the good news with others. And he still pursues us, even when we disobey, even in our disobedience, because he's merciful. And I want to close today with two questions. <laughs> and this is for everyone in here. Are you walking with Jesus or are you running from him? And see, that can be for everyone in this room, whether you've asked Jesus to come into your heart or whether you've been a Christian for years because we all at times disobey. Sometimes we run and that chain gets a little short and God pulls us back because he pursues us. And then where is your Nineveh? Where has God called you to go? For him. Is it down the hall to Noah's Ark? Is it to your neighbor next door to tell them about who Jesus is? Is it across town for one of the local ministries? Is it across the ocean to the jungles of Ecuador? Where is your Nineveh? And will you be obedient when he calls you to go? Because we can run, but we cannot hide. Let's pray. Today, if you hear that first question, are you following Jesus or are you running from God? I know in my own life, I, I ran for, for God for a lot of years in my early years. And I knew God was calling me, pursuing me. And there came a time that I bowed my knee to him. And maybe today you're here. You've never asked Jesus to come into your life or you're watching online. Today can be the day that you realize who the one true God is. So if you've never done that, you need to know that Jesus is the per perfect sacrifice for you. He came to redeem you from your sins. He loves you so much. He has a purpose for your life. And all you have to do is follow him, obey him, give your life to him. And you can do that by saying, Lord, forgive me of my sins. God, wash me clean. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you continue to pursue us. And, Lord, I just give my life to you. I, can, I ask, Lord, that you wash me clean, that I might follow you and go to where you call me to go. And we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.